0: Welcome to another episode of the Scottish Property Podcast, my name's Nick Ponte, I'm here with my co-host Stephen Clark. how you doing? Good Nick, how are you? Oh good, we're recording this on the 1st of November, last night was Halloween, trick-or-treating mate, did you get bags full of swag?
1: Yeah, I loved it, I actually love going out guys and it was quite good to see the kids getting right into it, like Maya's at that age now where she gets excited about it, and it's quite cool, quite cool. Yeah,
0: well, it's getting competitive around my bit, like you want to see the houses, they've got the big inflatables out and these... These uh animatronics or whatever you call them, things that talk to you and all that. So yeah, we've got to keep up with the Joneses round here. All
1: right, there's the reefer budget budget going on your next project.
0: <laughs> Can I fit any more Halloween decorations up in that loft?
1: So me, who, who have you got lined up today for us?
0: Yes, had a really good chat with a guy called Nick uh Gut. So I think it's Dutch, I think he said. So Nick Gut G-U-I-T. Uh, he has got his own construction company, he's a builder to trade. Uh, he's got a background in building surveying as well and he's actively doing like property developments Uh, I've seen a couple of posts online recently he's taken on this big church uh, conversion down in Millport some of you'll be aware Millport beautiful wee island uh, off the west coast and he's got this big uh, development that he talked about doing there talked about his kind of beginnings how he started out as an apprentice in the shipyard uh, YTS I think it was called back then uh, as a welder, um, that wasn't for him. Progressed through into working uh, for other people in construction, then started his own business. We talked about the challenges of running your own business, the challenges of getting tradesmen.
1: Yeah, I, I like to chat on uh, on the trades as well because you know we don't often get builders or tradesmen actually doing anything in property, so it's quite nice to see someone from that background actually utilizing their skill sets to build, you know, do their own flips and build start build their own portfolio. So it's quite good from that point of view. So listeners can probably take some tips on, or, or, you know, and see from there. Unfortunately, it's not, it wasn't like all good news, was it? Because when you were asking him for tips on, you know, how to get, how to attract good trades, how to retain good trades in your team and stuff like that. You know, he would he hear just today had a, a an example he shared. He's been let down from a scaffold, and he's like, this shit happens all the time. So 30 years in this business, he's still finding it. So, so it probably gives the, the guys out there are doing projects right now that are having a bit a struggle with trades and getting the right team in it probably gives you a little bit of comfort that you're not alone. Yeah, guys who experience struggle with the same, with the same thing.
0: Yeah, because there's a guy that's been involved for 25 years, you know, and he's still having the same problems that everybody else is having. So that that for me was a quite refreshing. That he was honest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a little, a little, we we debate about the property education as well. That was quite good there. And, oh, Nick, uh, Nick
1: loves to get in the proper education debate if it, anything. I-
0: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good interview, so I hope you enjoy this uh, listen with Nick Gut. Here you go, guys. Okay, welcome to the Scottish Property Podcast, Nick Gut, how, how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, how are you guys? Good, thanks
2: Excellent.
0: for joining us. Yeah, Ex- no problem. No,
2: thanks
0: for having me. Excellent. So I followed a couple of your posts on social media, so it's great to get somebody on with experience like yourself and just to hear a little bit about your backstory and how you got involved in property so let's take you right back to start what was it initially took your interest
2: um so i when i left school i basically just wanted money i wanted to get a car so i ended up taking any job i ended up working in the shipyards as a welder and i hated it from day one but um i stuck it out it was good money it paid all the bills and as soon as I got my qualifications, I just knew I knew I wanted to do something different. I tried. I went to college. I did an HND in engineering, but I couldn't get a job anywhere as an engineer. So the, the girl that I was with at the time, her dad had a roofing and building company, and I worked. I, I think it was like during the summer, and I really really enjoyed it. Um, it was just a completely different environment. You know, there was only I think there were six of us with a few vans. We did a lot of maintenance work. We did work at private houses. You know, working in the shipyards, you were literally, you felt you were behind a barbed-wired wall all day. You had to check in, check out. You know, I just didn't like the environments. And I was just really, really interested in the construction industry. So, I always thought that the four years at uh, the shipyards and the two years at college were a bit of a waste of time. But, because I never wanted to be someone that had one of these careers that jumped all over the places. You know, we all had friends that every time you spoke to me it was doing something different. But, it did all tie in quite well with construction because I, I, even to this day, you know, I've got a welding kit and I was welding some steel beams about two months ago. Um, so, you know, I've always kind of lent on that experience and, and having that HND, although it was in engineering, that got me into, I think I, I joined uni. I can't remember if I, I joined second year or something, but that HND in engineering got me into university when i done my degree in building survey. And so overall, it's been a kind of 30-year career in the construction industry, albeit I went from the shipyards to a uh, kind of roofing and building company and then that evolved into a property development company. So yeah, it all tied in quite well with a, a construction career. Was that ship so, was that
0: the shipyards down in was it governor or something? Like that? Governe, you, yeah, or
2: something? so it was Caverna at the time and they were we did a we did one of the biggest army ships they'd ever done, I think. They said look, whatever went to the Falklands war, that right. ship could have carried a third of it in, in the one go. Um, so we worked on that and we worked on a lot of the stainless steel tankers but yeah, it just wasn't a very nice environment, you know, when you're welding in a tank it's it's just full of fumes and you know, you were just dirty all the time and you know because we were young, they didn't really give us an awful lot to do, in fact, I think I spent a year being told to hide by the manager because we were working on the stainless steel tanks and they didn't want us touching them, Mm. so every morning they just used to say, away you go and hide so I think we did that for almost a year uh, luckily, I had a couple of really good friends at the time. Past, past the time, but yeah, I just knew I didn't like it. I remember, I can remember the first two weeks being in the skill centre, and I hated it. I absolutely yes. hated it. But I was getting, I think we were getting about a hundred pounds a week, and my, most of my friends were on YTS, getting thirty pounds a week. So it was good money. And by the time you were in second and third, by the time you were in third year, you were almost getting what a tradesman got. And nice. you know, you come back. God, you're going back 25 years, maybe closer to 30 years. I'm pretty sure we were getting like 10, 12 pounds an hour way back then. So it was really good money, you know. um, It's interesting
0: now, isn't it? Because like, you know, you look at young people now and you think, you know, a lot of people were kind of, they don't really want to work for a living and all that. But surely doing something like that where you know you're you're getting an apprenticeship scheme or something like that, and you're actually progressing on like a trade where you're earning good money. But well, how would you advise young people now, like going through that yeah. sort of in the construction, especially with your experience, is that a worthwhile route
2: for people? Absolutely. Do you know I I do a bit as talking for founders for schools. I don't know if you've heard of them. So you can volunteer and you go along to local schools and it's to help the the high school kids get ready for working life. And I always say to them, every single job I had, it gave me a little bit of experience. And whether it was a personal experience, whether it was working under a certain manager or a certain process, or whether it was developing a skill. You know, just do everything to the best of your ability. Because if you're one of those people that's just work shy and you try and look for shortcuts, you'll just end up doing your whole kind of business career that way whether it's a job or whether it's your own business. So just do everything to the best of your ability. And if you can get in the door somewhere, you know, just learn from it. Um, you cannot, It's never too late to change because I went to university when I was 29. I do wish I'd maybe went when I was younger because everyone I was at uni with was probably about 18 to 20. But there was absolutely nothing wrong with going at that age. And, and looking back now, 29 is still quite young. Um, but yeah, it's never too late to change, just do everything to the best of your ability and then if you if you don't enjoy it, try and find something you enjoy. But you know, you can always move on after a year or two years, three years. But yeah, having that, you know, if, if something disastrous happened, I could always go back and be a welder. I could always go back and be a general builder. You know, I've got core skills there that, that as long as you're physically fit that no one can take away from you, you know, even if I don't know, let's say property disintegrated and was no longer a thing, you know, I I could always go back and be a welder. You know, you've always got those skills. So yeah, just try and get, I would always say that to my son, you know, if if he wants to be, um, you know, if he wants to go and do something completely different, that's fine. If he doesn't want to use his hands and he maybe wants to do an architect or an engineer, that's fine. But, you know, I would always try and say to him, get a core skill behind you, you know, go and be a joiner or something like Even if you want to do something later, will get those skills when you when you leave school mm. and when
0: was it you started up your own construction business then and really started working for yourself
2: so when I when I went to work with my ex-partner's dad um, I was obviously I was 24 at the time but I ended up the managing director of that company but that was for tax purposes that wasn't uh, because I was so amazing at my job but he did he he showed me all the ropes I I used to go to all the meetings, meet all the clients, I was obviously signing all the bank stuff you know so I got a real uh, you know I got a real education in how to run a business albeit it was his business so I then went back to university when I was 29 and I didn't realise to become a chartered surveyor you had to stay on another two years and do even more exams and by that time I was 33 so they told me I could leave with a Bachelor of Science and I, and I did that, but I didn't realise that just being a normal surveyor wasn't super high paid. You know, you had to be chartered to start making some bigger money. So went back and started my own business. And again, I thought I'd wasted all those years at university because here I was back in a van with my dirty clothes on, looking for driveways, decking jobs, extension jobs. But the minute I used to introduce myself as a building surveyor, it opened all sorts of doors. So not only... I wasn't just Joe Bloggs, a builder. I was, oh, here's a builder. Oh, you're a building surveyor as well. And all of a sudden, I was, oh, could you go and look at this? Or my friend needs it? Or, you know, could you come to a meeting about a project that we've got on? So, yeah, I, I kind of leveraged that quite a lot. Um, and I, I, obviously, I, I grew that business, albeit it was 2008, and everything everything just went... <laughs> It was uh, something the world hadn't seen before. You know, someone came in and told me Persimmon's homes had just shut down all their sites. And I, I couldn't really get my head around it. And I thought starting my own business was going to be a disaster as well. But that, I actually grew my business in the recession because people couldn't move. Um, you know, everyone just wanted extensions. Everyone wanted to do the garden up. So I went from me and one guy to having four vans. And there was about 15 of us within about three years. Um, I do not have any management experience, which was my downfall, but yeah, it was a really good overall experience, and you know, sometimes we were making lots of money, other times we weren't, because I didn't have the management experience, but yeah, that kind of gave me, that was my, that was the biggest part of my knowledge, I think, just starting my own business, that kind of five, six year period, I still leverage that all the time, you know, when I look for, when we've got any problems, or we've got any kind of, any situations going on, that, that, that's, the point in my, my career that kind of taught me just about everything that I, that I know at the time. Was that just kind of like
1: dealing with the everyday problems and, be, you know, wearing all the hats that you'd wear as like a small business owner?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, again, I talk about this quite a lot as well. You know, you can be the best joiner in the world, the best plumber in the world, but just that doesn't make you a good businessman. So a lot of people, can, I, I had a business coach and he was pretty good, but yeah, I, I should have leveraged more the people that were running about me at the time I desperately needed more management skills. I fortunately had quite a good team um, because I got involved with another business years after that and it, and it grew too quick and we were pulling people off the street to come and work with us and it was an absolute disaster. Um, nothing materialised kind of the way it was supposed to, but yeah, although I had a bit more management experience then, you know, that was something else that I get kind of sucked into. And fortunately... Was, back- was that in the same,
1: the same industry?
2: Yeah, same industry. Yeah, someone else asked us to join up and and do a large scale business, but we were supposed to be doing large scale sites and whenever, and we ended up there was like 15, 20 smaller extension jobs on the go, and it was just an absolute uh, disaster. Um, as I say, we were the message was get more guys, get more guys, and, and looking back, that was the biggest downfall. I should have said no. You know, we need to kind of. We need to stabilise what we've got here, but we we were going out, we were getting guys all the time, we were getting you know basically what they weren't even getting interviewed, we were putting adverts on, and I was I was telling them to meet me at the job the next day, so it's like everything guys will be good for a week or two, and then they all start carrying on and phoning in sick and not showing up, and and there just wasn't enough management. It was literally me trying to look after about twenty five guys, which looking back was just impossible. So yeah, that was another shot. What would you say stuff. is the most like challenging
0: like part of running uh you know, like being a builder and running a, a construction company? Is it?
2: It's you know
0: what's what's the hardest part of it?
2: <laughs> definitely dealing with the staff. Um it, I hear so many people talking about it, just about every builder and every small builder that I talk about, they all talk about the same issues. They're overworked, they're overstressed, their guys let them down. I think there's been a massive shift. From what I've seen probably 15, 16 years ago, there's a massive shift in the work ethic. Everyone is, just seems so lazy now. The guys that are really good charge an awful lot, and they deserve to get that. But the guys, there's so many average guys and poor guys in the industry now. It's just like everyone's work shining. I'm talking about guys that are in their 40s, even in their 50s, they're quite happy to only come to work three, four days a week. They'll, they'll work Saturday, but they'll phone in sick on the Monday because they've been out drinking on the Sunday night. And you're like, well, what is the point? They, they'll let you down at the drop of a hat. You know, if Celtic or Rangers are playing, it's a lucky dip who's coming to work the next day. You know, if there's a European game on on a Wednesday night, guaranteed someone's going to phone in sick the next day. And, it's, and that's, a constant,
0: used... that's a constant battle that you've had it's... over the years. And. <laughs> Even like like you say, you know, guys are getting well paid, aren't they? You know, like what's the kind of what's the kind of day rate now for, um, you know, like oh, if you're okay. taking in somebody a joiner or something like that, and you're trying to price a job, like what what, are you, what are you kind of base these figures on?
2: Well, you're, you're going to be paying them somewhere between twenty and twenty five. You know, if you want a really good joiner, somebody that turns up every day, he's got all the proper tools, he's got yeah. a van. He's looking for twenty-five quid because he knows he's life, good. Two hundred fifty a day my or something. Mind
1: with, with tradesmen. When 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 you ask anybody in property, a property investor, developer, yeah, even hearing it from a builder blows my mind. And it's and you ask what's the the biggest quality a, a tradesman that you take on, and they say if they're reliable, like fuck me, uh-huh. you have to be that right. good for a fucking job. If you just turn up to your job and actually do the job when you're supposed to do it, you're actually already above ninety percent. If all the other yeah. tradesmen, it blows my it does blows my mind. It's like wow.
2: Uh- you know, you're absolutely correct with what you're saying. Now, 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Mm. Nowadays, my, my biggest piece of advice to anyone starting their own business in any form of construction, doesn't matter if it's a decorator or a joiner, I always say, do you know what? See, if you answer your phone, you answer your emails, and you turn up when you say you're going to turn up, you'll be busy all the time. Yeah, well, obviously you need to have a, a decent level of quality, but you don't even need to be the best at what you do because there's so many people that let clients down. So many people that are second fed up. If you're reliable, you always answer the phone, you always turn up, and you do a decent job, you'll always be really, really busy. Just because uh, there's so many chances and letdowns out there. I know. I always wonder this because you look
1: at any, you look at any industry, any business. There's always there's always dominating companies that have got huge scale franchise companies throughout the whole of the country or global and when you actually look at it there's never like there's never a bob the builder or or jock the plumber that's got you know thousands of vans throughout the uk it's like they've always got the it's the wee man their van with like a couple of vans like maximum you've never got any big scale the only kind of scale you see in the construction industry is the suppliers like a screw fix or a yeah. bq or even i'm assuming like companies like persimmons and the house brothers they'll still just bring in their subbies to actually work yeah, on the actually employ their own guys
2: I mean, Robert McAlpine, or Sir Robert McAlpine, the company is there, one of the biggest in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, was, I remember I worked in the commercial industry about eight, ten years ago, and I think they only, they used to employ like, I don't know, ten or 20,000. I can't remember the exact numbers, but they were down to almost 2,000. But they were the biggest company in the UK because everyone was just a subcontractor. So the 2,000 they had was probably a bunch of office staff and a bunch of project managers and a bunch of site managers that they moved around, and they maybe had some core guys that stayed with them, but essentially everyone else was a subcontractor, but it almost made them recession-proof, because they were so big, right. they were picking up whatever jobs they wanted, but they, they had such a, well, 2,000 is not a small number, but for a company that size with their turnover, 2,000 is nothing. So there's other companies out there, I mean, you look at, was it Car- Carillion that went bust? Obviously, there was a lot of mismanagement behind the scenes, but you know, they, they had a massive fleet of vehicles, they had a massive network, you know, massive staff numbers. Um, and, I, and I know quite a lot of other companies, even around Glasgow companies that maybe had 100, 200 people that have just went bust over the years. And again, I, I, I won't name them because obviously I've not spoke to them, but I know someone personally that had about 200 people. He'd grown that business for about 15, 18 years. and they always done really, really well, and uh, and and he put it down to just the staff letting them down. And again, he agreed with what I said about a big shift in the, the kind of work ethic in people. Yeah, just people phoning in sick. and second, especially with obviously the cost of living and the energy crisis is fairly recent. But there's guys out there, that and I don't know how they do it. You know, I've got two or three streams of income. We always do really, really well, but I still juggle cash, especially when I've got a lot of jobs on. You know these guys are quite happy to get by on three, four hundred pound a week and phone in sick once or twice a week. And I know they're out drinking at the weekends and doing whatever else they're doing. I just don't know how they, they get by on you know phoning in sick one or two times a week. They've always they've always got an excuse. There's always a the dentist on a Wednesday morning. Or there's always the dogs get the vet or they need to take the kids to school. And sometimes I, you know I've had guys working for me in the past and you're literally paying them for like three and a half four days every single week and you're thinking how, how can you live on that and then they're talking about oh we're going to go on holiday or we're going to get a new car and you're thinking how, yeah.
0: how can you avoid pain, it pain. I see your pain mate I see your pain talk to us about when obviously you've got this building experience you've been running your building company <laughs> and you know, you've know you you've got your uh, building surveyor degree as well when did it start becoming uh, sort of clear to you that you had to get involved in some property projects yourself and how did all that begin
2: so I've always done work for property developers and like a lot of people, you just presume Well, these guys turn up in site once a week and they've always got a fancy car and their nice clothes on, you just thought you must need hundreds of thousands to do that and um, I, was, I was telling you a brief story earlier on so when I was about 24, 25 I got a lump sum of money and with a family friend who was an estate agent and I phoned her, I remember being all excited I remember saying I'm going to buy property, do it up and sell it. Because I, I'd been in the building trade for a couple of years. I had some skills. We used to do a lot of maintenance stuff, so I could do a bit of tiling, a bit of joinery, a bit of roofing work. Um, and I knew a bunch of joiners and whoever else I needed. And she said, why do you want to do that? Everybody's doing that. So I remember going to look at a property in Springburn. I remember going to look at one in, um, in the Moss Park Boulevard that had some underpinning issues. And that was it. So I went and blew the money on, I think I bought a watch and I bought a big fancy jacket and probably spent the rest on going out. But um What, yeah, what year so, was that, Nick? What's that, sorry? What, what year was that? So I must have been about 20, 25, 26, so what's up? What age are you and now? I'm 47 now. Right. So that was about yeah, 22 years ago. So yeah, that must And, and now bad. that and
0: and like <laughs> obviously you you didn't go down that route at the time. And are you
2: do you regret that decision? <laughs> well, I do and I don't. I try not to live with any regrets because you know life's fine now. But you always think back. See, if I just bought one of those, I would have done another one the following year, and maybe another one. And at some point, I would have picked up momentum. And you know, if that was twenty odd years ago, I might be sitting here with fifty or hundred properties just now. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't look back with any regrets. It, it would probably have changed things. a bit. I would probably have had a less stressful life because running a construction company and dealing with the public can be very stressful at times. Let's um,
1: flip that, the kind of, kind of construction trade side that we've onto on the, like the listeners, because most listeners will probably look, listening from a, an investor's or a developer's point of view. What tips would you give them on how to... Find the right guys, but also maintain the right guys, and you know, like just tips that you can see because you'll have more experience than anyone else listening on how to how to, how to bring these guys in, but
2: also manage them and, and make sure they're yeah. okay. Uh, sort of are you meaning as employing them or just bringing them in to do some refurb work? Ah, I just bringing them in to do some refurb work, yeah. Yeah, so again, I've done quite a bit of kind of speaking and coaching on that as well. There's uh it's not an exact science, but I always stick with guys, A, if they answer the phone and the emails, because as much as they're not office-type people, we do, we're do we going to need them to answer the phone. There's nothing worse than somebody not answering the phone. You know you need them to be punctual. You're going to have to get paperwork off them if you're doing stuff through a building warrant, whether it's um, electrical certificates, gas certificates. You need photos to show the building control. So if these guys never answer the phone, they're terrible with emails, that's going to just continue and that's going to cause you headaches down the line. I I think one thing that always does bode well, see when someone turns up and they've got, they don't have to have a nice van because a lot of builders drive old vans, but see if they've got all the proper equipment. And by that, I'm talking about your DeWalsh, your Bosch, your, um, you know, your uh, Makita stuff, you know, stuff that looks expensive. See if they buy all their tools out of B&Q, like, that proper builders, joiners, good tradesmen don't buy like black and decker or all the cheap stuff that, that comes. You know, they'll spend money on their tools. They're also dressed well as well. You know, They've got the proper stuff and the proper tool belts. and They just look like they're a joiner or a gas fitter. Someone that turns up in a, a bit of a muddled mess and you know, they're going around in circles and all their tools look as if they're falling apart. These are the guys that, that are working three, four days a week and they're, they're just getting by. So I always like to stick with people that, that look like they know what they're doing, they, they act like they know what they're doing, you know. If you've got someone in to fix a boiler, you know, it, it, it's just fluent. He just comes right in, he takes a boiler cover off, he, he looks at a certain few things, he adjusts a few things, he can give you lots of information. You know, if you've got someone that's coming in and he's taking things apart and there's water flying everywhere, you know, that, that, that to me is not a great tradesman. So yeah, try and find that's guys. Good point. That,
0: Kind of first impressions do count for a lot absolutely. you know uh, no, if somebody's if somebody's going to take the time to clean the van or keep it tidy or keep it organized then you know like you say they they obviously take a bit of pride in what yep. they do and that will hopefully reflect through on it the job as well that they do for you <laughs>
2: yeah no absolutely and, and again you know I've seen it so many times where i don't know like, uh, I don't, you just eat boilers are in particular, you know, if, if you if if someone knows what they're doing, they just come in, they take the, the boiler carcass cover off, you know, they know right away what they're going to, you know, whereas if you see someone that's just kind of faffing about, yeah, that, that makes me nervous, especially if it's maybe like an electrician, you know, you, you don't want them touching anything. But the same goes for kind of joiners and builders and plasterers. You know, a good tradesman just it makes it look effortless because he does it day in, day out. They can also explain the job to you, you know, if you've got any questions. Lots of tradesmen don't really like speaking. They don't really like emails and phone calls and text messages. And that doesn't make them a bad tradesman. But at the end of the day, you need to liaise with them. And if they're the expert and you don't know what you're doing, you're relying on these guys to give you the information and to you know, answer your questions and to help you out. So you need to find people that you can work with, people that you're comfortable with. And you know people that are just going to give you that all-round general contact, you know about a bit of kind of comfort and about a bit of good feeling when you're around them.
0: What's your view on these websites that you get now, like Checker Trade and all these ones that that people are going to to kind of try and find tradesmen? Do they can they work all right, or what? what yeah. do you need to be careful
2: of there. Yeah, I think you still need to be careful because I, I think uh, I I used my builder about ten years ago and. I think they ask you for a couple of references, but you could just literally phone one of your friends and ask them to give you a reference, but people do get the chance to go on and rate you. So if a a company's got 20, 30, 40, 50 reviews and they're all pretty good, there's always going to be someone that didn't like them or someone that has a moan about them, but Mm. if they've got, in general a whole bunch of good reviews. They can't all be fake. You know, they must be genuine customers. You can tell that they use those sites a lot. So yeah, but again, there could be a new company that I've just came on to yesterday. doesn't make them a bad company because they don't have any reviews. So yeah, again, it's about getting them out. Get always get two, three, four prices, however many you've got time for. And then don't just go by the price. If you're going to just pick the cheapest price, then that's potentially going to give you problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see
0: see one thing like like people seem to fall down on this again and again so they'll get like a recommendation or something like that right and they'll think just because somebody's mentioned you know this person that you know they're going to be good and obviously everybody says go on recommendation but then they'll phone them and they'll uh, arrange a time and the guy or the girl won't turn up you know the first time but then they'll keep persisting and keep giving them more chances or they'll get let down again and again and I think you need to take the kind of warning signals very early on and just Absolutely. shut it down, rather than keep persisting and letting them come back
2: and letting you let them fuck you over again and again.
0: Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, definitely, definitely. Because I mean, if if someone can't even take the time to get you your quote, what are they going to be like when you get them the job? I I've had a perfect example today. Um, Scaffold guys were supposed to put a scaffold up last week. It wasn't getting back to me a lot, and I was a bit nervous. But I messaged them on. I think, the start of last week. Yeah, that's fine. Messages him on Friday. Yeah, we will be up. Scaffold's not up. Won't answer the phone this week. And that's just perfect example of guys. Now, listen, something could have happened. Maybe I'm being unfair, but he's been online. You know, I, I can see that he's been on WhatsApp. Just a simple message. You know, if something's up, let me know. Instead of that, just wasting my time, wasting the joiner's time. You know, what kind of professionalism is that? It can't even... Uh, answer, a, answer a message to let you know why they have not put the scaffold up, because that holds everything up, it's not something you can just walk around, you know, we can't get on the roof now so... I'm yeah, sure a lot of it.
0: the listeners will be relieved to hear you say that, somebody who's been involved in, in the business for 30 years or whatever do you know what I mean, and and you're still getting let down by guys, so you yeah. know, we kind of beat ourselves up sometime you know, we get stressed about this sort of stuff happening, but it's, it's actually refreshing to hear that you still have the same problems as everybody else.
2: <laughs> you know, it's one, of, it's one of my biggest gripes about um, these online property courses or the shop property courses. None of them even talk about the... Re- well, they'll, they'll talk about the refurb as in go and get a refurb done. That How can you... That's not... It's not as easy to just pick up the phone and get a refurb done. That is actually the hardest part of the journey. Mm. Yes, you've got to find them. Yes, you've got to find the finance and that could cause different people problems. If you, if you think you're just going to pick up the phone, phone a builder, get a refurb done, that's the thing that's going to cost you the most money. That's the thing that's going to cause your life the most stress. That's the thing that's going to determine when you sell the project or when you refinance it. It's going to determine absolutely what your profit margins are, and none of them even go into it. They just leave all these young kids, just going to do a refurb add as much value, put a new in your kitchen and put your bathroom in. I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop here,
1: Nick. I, I go into it on my three-day workshop because I've got 16 years actual property experience and then I just sell a, a property course. Sorry to interrupt this podcast, but just wanted to let you know about the Scottish Property Podcast Christmas Ball, which is happening at the Village Hotel in Glasgow on Saturday, the 3rd of December.
0: Can't wait. Myself and Stephen thought it'd be a great idea to have an end-of-year party like no other party to celebrate building this amazing community. There's gonna be a whole range of people there to Network with from the great and good of the Scottish property network. Whether you are single, bring your partner along, or if you're an office party, make it a work night out.
1: Early bird tickets are available on our website for £95, which include a welcome drink, three course dinner, live music, and a DJ up until one o'clock in the morning to allow us to party on. Hope to see you guys there.
0: While we're on education, uh, you know, have you done any of these
2: courses or anything that have you been in? Uh-huh, any? Yeah. Um, I, I've done over the last 10 years I've been to two or three. I'm actually looking quite uh, heavily into commercial now so I've done another couple of commercial ones. but I think if you've got some experience and you go along and they just fill in the blanks, then fine. Um, I think if you go along knowing nothing, you know the, the big thing is no money, no uh, no experience doesn't matter. We'll show you everything they make it sound really easy. I was watching a really good podcast with someone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, if I change the words business or property for, let's say, golf or tennis, and I said to you, come along to my five-day masterclass, I'll show you how to win the PGA, even if you've never picked up a golf club before. Everyone would just think, you're crazy. That's, that's just a complete waste of time. But the minute you say property, well, come along to my five-day property masterclass, even if you've no experience, you've no money, We'll show you how to build a six, seven-figure business, and people start throwing five and ten thousand pounds at them. And,
1: and, that, and that, and that, and that, that, that depends on what you're offering, on on it. If you say, "Come along to my four-day, five-day course, and you can learn how to play tennis," then fine. But it's it's that sale point. Come along and learn how to do property, and I'll make you a million. Or quit your job in sixty days. All that shit. Then I absolutely agree with that. But yeah, it's, it's 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 where the sales points put it. We know it's yeah. not easy, but. I mean, we, we see these out there that's just like, an that, that's
0: not. I think there's good and bad in all industries, like you say. And, and you know, I was always quite against property courses, but since meeting Stephen, and, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're on the kind of same wavelength as well, um, Nick, you know, like when I went to one of Stephen's courses, the <laughs> first time I've ever been to a property course, and I went along at his one there, I, went, I, I was almost put off doing property after being his course because he literally stood there and said, right, these are the Plus points, these are the downsides. And, you know, the downsides were quite scary for a lot of people. So they are made aware of that. I think it just depends. But I agree with you, Nick. There is too much of this, like, you know, this is an easy way to make money. And yeah. that is a load of bullshit, you
2: know? Yeah, I think that exactly, you're exactly right. I mean, not every course is the same, but a lot of them make it sound too easy. Um, a lot of them, you know they, they sell the dream, they, they show off flashy cars or houses and, and people are lured in thinking, well, if I go and do that, well, I could have that as well. And I just think there's, there's such a massive percentage of people who don't get anywhere. Now, again, that's down to the content they get, how it's delivered, what they're told. I, I've been hearing stories recently about certain courses offering specific things like one-to-one calls or we'll get you a deal on the day or you know, you can have X amount of time with this person, and then not even following through with it. You know, literally blanking people's calls. You know, again, that's that's obviously completely unacceptable. I'm I I I also
1: very. I was very. I started mine a couple of years ago because I was the same as you. I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't like being criticised of an in industry with saying, "Do you know what? There's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity to do it right," and, and go on, And I see how hard it is. But I I've, I still struggle to feel sorry for the people that actually spend fucking tens of thousands of pounds without actually doing the research, they'll follow someone on Instagram for, for six months, a year or, or a few months and go, oh, look at the fancy car he's got. Look at, look at he's he's now doing another course, he's now doing another course, now doing another course, but where the fuck do you see any property in it? If you're exactly. running a property business, exactly. you'd be on site, you'd be on, doing viewings, you'd be having meetings, you'd be in planning consultants, you'd be putting through a building warrant, you'd be doing property day, in, day and day And the people that fall for it, I think they fucking deserve it for actually looking, actually not looking into the people that they're learning from. Yeah. Now, Don't get me wrong, I know the answer because I've questioned these guys on it and they'll just say, oh, we've got teams that do that. And I understand I've got a project manager doing my project management stuff in Aberdeen, but I'm still going to go to my site. I'm still going to look up in my project. I'm still going to look through it and actually put a story on Instagram and go, just checking on progress. Here's the kitchen going in. Here's the update. You're still going to put property-related stuff up there so the people that get sucked in, they fall for someone that doesn't do property. You deserve deserve not having the, 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 the gaps filled in to actually go and take action and do it.
2: Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I mean, obviously, if you're going to spend money on anything, you should do your due diligence. But yeah, people just get lured in when they see the testimonials that were given halfway through the course when everyone was all excited and pumped up. But no, again, that's always what I say to them as well. You know, they all make, or most of them make Nearly all of their income from the training. The training so rewarding for them, they just put all their finances into the marketing for the training.
0: Yeah, um, and I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you've noticed this right, but like when I look at the photos and videos of people that go to these courses and in the room and all that, the demographic and the you know the age it seems to be really young, predominantly male, I've got to say, and young under 25s, probably 80 percent of the time. And that all ties back to what you were saying earlier on, that about you know young folk just not wanting to to work and put in the, the graft and the effort, and all that, because yeah, they literally definitely. see this lifestyle and they've bought into it. And God knows where they're getting the money from, because you know, like you say, you're talking about twelve grand or whatever. Is it student loan?
2: Like, is it credit card? Like, probably mum and dad's credit cards, and then they'll still be paying it off twelve months later.
0: So <laughs> anyway.
2: Um, moving on like what have
0: you done in property anyway we've not even touched on
2: that <laughs> like, what, what... yeah so um, going back probably 12 years uh, I, don't, I bought my own my first house years and years ago but after that I never really done anything else but yeah I bought, um bought my first investment it was actually my grand's house when she passed away so I still own that one um, but yeah I was just playing about It was literally doing like one flip every year and, and yeah you were making a bit of money and your, your little pot of cash was going up. But all I was doing was creating more work for myself because my construction business was always busy. So I was having to do my own properties at nights and weekends, and that's fine when you're, when you're younger and you've got lots of energy and you don't have any kids. But, yeah, you start getting fed up going to work three, four nights a week, You know, working Saturdays and Sundays, even though it's for yourself, it still just becomes a bit mundane, and you know, you just, you're just constantly working, constantly in your dirty clothes. So I had to kind of figure out a strategy that was going to allow me to maybe stop doing work for the public um, and just start doing mostly my own property stuff because it's not a five-minute process. You know, if you stop working and you've got a a flip, you're not going to get paid until that deal's sold. So what's going to pay the bills in between? So yeah, I just kind of actually got a business coach and we kind of came up with a strategy that was going to allow me to get into that cycle where I was able to step back and just slowly but surely, I could stop taking work. So we just kind of took jobs from the public as and when they suited us, you know, depending on the size of the job, the location, you know, who the client was, because most of the time the guys were working on my stuff. So, yeah, over a, I, I don't know, kind of two three year period, we managed to kind of make that a possibility. So, yeah, we're kind of self-sufficient in property. We will do some stuff for the public but yeah predominantly just our own things that we work on obviously we, we work one-to-one with some clients as well showing them what to do but yeah 75% of what we do is developments, and maybe 25% on the, the coaching side just to help other people that, that want to kind of come and see what we do and, and kind of let us show them hands-on what to do.
0: When you say developments do you mean like flipping houses and flats? Yeah and things
2: so, like that. well I, I ignored the buy-to-let strategy for years I had a terrible tenant years ago but again looking back that was my fault I didn't want to pay an estate agent because I was a builder I thought well I'll deal with anything that comes up uh, I was advertising on Gumtree I would take the first person that, I, that came along take their money so she was in the house for I don't know 3-4 months um, and then she did a midnight flip stole the bed the TV wrecked the place so I thought never ever want another tenant so we, did, we just did flips and then I I became aware of the buy-to-let refinance strategy. Um, and obviously you start appreciating what, what exactly property is, because I just seen property as a vehicle to make me kind of 20, 30 grand every now and again on a flip. Then you start seeing the long-term potential and understanding what inflation actually means, you know, looking at the things like the interest rate. So yeah, you just start understanding all the ins and outs. So I just, you know, believe property is such a valuable commodity now, you know, it's all it's difficult to get mortgages now. You know, what's it going to be like in 10, 20 years time? You know, my kids will probably struggle to get mortgages. So yeah, we just want to have a decent sized portfolio. Um and I just think that'll give a very, very um a very comfortable retirement in terms of, you know, financial residual income assets that are sitting there. So yeah, we started holding property and we've started looking at other things now, looking at a lot of commercial stuff. Um, yeah, so we bought a we bought a church this year. I was going to say last year. So yeah, this is, the, Mil- this is the one in Mill. This is the one in Millport, is it? Yeah, yeah. So I've actually got a flat in Millport again. That was another good investment opportunity. But my partner, she spent a lot of time there. Her family had a flat there growing up, so she really wanted to get that with our family in canada i've got they've all got cottages up at the lake and it's just a really nice environment you know it's somewhere that everyone goes so she wanted to do something similar in millport so i said well it has to be an investment opportunity i'm not going to buy a fully renovated property so we, we bought something that needed a lot of work and we've done that work so that's that creates a lot of uh, uh profit there and you know we'll re- refinance that and start buying something else but yeah, Do you, you let
0: that, that out on Airbnb and stuff like that? No, no
2: oh. we, we were going to, but we've just decided that we're, we're just going to keep it for ourselves. So right. we didn't like the thought of someone else sleeping in our bed and yeah. someone else sleeping in the kid's bed. So we've done it up quite nice. and We leave all our personal items down there and you can spend a wee bit extra on um, you know, decorations and pictures, and vases, you know, colouring, uh, all, all your other personal stuff um, because you're not going to let it out. But yeah, we'll maybe buy another one down there before letting out, that's that's on the agenda. But I knew of the church and I was aware of any kind of shops and things that were lying empty. And you always, because obviously we've got an interest in the area now and we've got a lot of friends down there, you you want it to be a kind of vibrant community. So I had plans to kind of look at some of the shops and see if there was something I could do with them. Maybe any businesses that were down there that we could do something with. Um, Because it's really took off, I think. You know, especially during Covid it's getting more popular uh, during the summer you know you can be three hours trying to get on and off the island uh, with the queues uh, it's quite quiet in the winter time but yeah I had a couple of uh, business partners down south that were looking for service and accommodation up here and they wanted it to be larger high-end stuff so I showed them the, the church and they came up and they visited the area thought it was a nice sunny day and I was able to take them around and show them everything, and the, the the ferry over. Was just looking up down the Clyde Coast. You know they were blown away. Oh, so yeah, we we purchased the church. So yeah, we're going to have to renovate that. Uh, hopefully early next year we'll we'll get onto that project. What's the plan so, for yeah. that one?
1: The neck? is that the splitting of different multiple units or just keep it as a one unit?
2: No. So hopefully it'll be potentially four. there was plans done before. I think it was like seven apartments. Then the guy switched the strategy, he was going to do some kind of 18-bed HMO for I don't know if it was disabled or, or some, kind of, it was some kind of retreat for children, I think, but the parking was going to be an issue, you know, parking is an issue on the island, I, I don't know what, why he thought that one was going to be a good idea I don't know if he was maybe going to get grants from somewhere, but yeah he, he did have plans for a seven-bedroom uh, seven-apartment uh, building which he never followed through with us. So we, we could have done the, the flip strategy, but we'll, I think it's going to be four, maybe five, high-end HMO, holiday sorry, service accommodation type uh, lets, um, and then just try and utilise the, the tourist industry down there. I'm, so we've got quite a few ideas, but yeah, we really need to catch up and start getting these ideas down onto paper and getting the architects involved and getting some concrete plans in place as soon as we can. Is that going to be
0: quite a long-term project? Like, how does that kind of structure work as well? Like when you're taking you're in with these other guys. So what's your yeah. part of the deal and, and what do they bring? Is it
2: um yeah, I suppose a good question because a lot of it's going to fall onto me uh being in the area. I wouldn't say local because it's still an hour away. And it's going to be a bit of a logistical challenge getting workers and materials and stuff to the island. So a lot of that organization is going to fall on my shoulders so yeah i suppose i'll be looking at them more for their service accommodation backgrounds their their knowledge and experience and potentially finance although we we are equal finance partners so yeah we need to kind of iron out all these kind of issues have you actually bought it then like is it it, yeah 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 it's all tied up because we did a few, I did a couple of videos when I was down there, but I didn't want to see any locations at the time because although Aye. we ver- verbally agreed it, it wasn't signed up. So yeah, everything's all signed up now. Right. So yeah, we can we can talk about it freely as ours. We just need to start putting the the wheels in motion to get the reform done.
0: But like like I mean that when I saw that video, I was like, i mean, you know been Millport a couple of times, going down there, love a good cycle round island with the kids and all that. And you know, I thought to myself, shit, that is a scary looking project, not only have you got rising material prices at the moment, but you've then got to get the materials across in the ferry, do you
2: know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, yeah, even just, we've been doing obviously work in the flat, and I've done all the work, but yeah, you need to talk one of your mates into coming down with you for the weekend to give you a hand, and then we've got to get the stuff down, and then even when you're even when you were ripping the place out, you've then got your time to time and take all the rubbish back up because, you know, getting skips and everything's a, a nightmare. Uh, uh, but, yeah, obviously people do it. There's work going on in the island all the time. There's quite a lot of stuff going on. Uh, that- from, yeah, someone else did a church refurb. Um, I know there was a lot of work going on at the caravan site. So there's always scaffold up. But, yeah, the, the, my neighbour said... She was trying to get a roofer out. You know, I think more trying to get small maintenance jobs done is difficult for people on the island. There's only one or two guys on the island that do um kind of maintenance work. But yeah, if you want like your full roof done, you just need to book it in and you know and stick to that time. But yeah, there's they're always there's always scaffolds down there, everyone's always getting their roofs done, obviously with the edge of the buildings.
0: So is uh, this you pushing yourself to the next level then? Just kind of going one step further have you kind of Dental, had an experience yeah. with doing that kind of like you know the, these I mean I presume is that like a listed building or a
2: no it's not listed it's not. no All no right. it's not so yeah but um, we're hoping we'll get quite a lot of assistance I, one of my friends did something on Rothstein which is just behind Millport and they said they got quite a lot of help from the local authority and they got grants and things so yeah we we'll need to look at that and see what we can what help we can get but, yeah, no, I've been looking a lot more at commercial. I still want to I still want to buy and hold residential because I think, as I say, ten, twenty years' time, if you're sitting with twenty properties, it's just going to give you a very, very comfortable retirement. um although people are panicking and properties may be dipping very slightly. I don't see any massive crash coming and I'm quite happy to keep buying and holding because the bigger picture is 10, 20 years down the line, you know, having that, those assets and having that residual income. But yeah, I've been looking a lot at commercial just in terms of the tax benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of
0: commercial are you talking about?
2: Warehouses? Well, hmm. anything really, you know, I I mean, I suppose my ideal scenario would be, you know, if you can pick something up and it, it, it could be, you know just talking about areas local to me, it could be like an Land or a Partick or Clyde Bank. If you can find a, a, a big shop and it's maybe got two, three, four flats above, you know, that's an ideal scenario for me because if I can get ideally a UK brand in the shop, that increases the, the, the lease value dramatically. I can split the title, I can renovate the flats upstairs, I can sell them, I can rent them. Um, you know, it just opens a lot of doors up. But I just think there's a lot of opportunity in the commercial side. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it could really be anything. You know, there's some of the things you can I don't know if you guys know much about commercial. Um, we've had a couple yeah. of guests on before. We, we've had
0: Jerry Alexander on before talking about Bridge. commercial. So we do try and touch on that and give the listeners a, a, bit,
2: a bit of information on that. But, yeah, no, I, just some of the things you can do. You know, potentially you can um, secure a commercial unit and you can then find the tenant put the tenant in you know without actually paying the money for it so there's obviously different ways and means around that so i've been trying to educate myself an awful lot on the commercial side um and just kind of keep an eye on that again when uh, i just think having a diverse portfolio is is the main answer a lot of people panicking maybe wanting out a property just now you know i understand if you're sitting with 10 Buy to lets, and they're all old style Glasgow tenements, for example. You've maybe got one eye on 2025, you're maybe in a bit of a panic about things like insulation, boilers, you know, windows. And and potentially, if there's a rent freeze on, you can't put the rent up, but interest rates have been up, you could be in bother, you could, or it could be a business that's not making you any money. But you know, if, if you've got a diverse portfolio, you've got some buy to lets, you do some flips, you've got some commercial. Uh service accommodation you know if you've got a kind of just that 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 diversity across your business, you shouldn't be too badly affected or you shouldn't be worried too much about market change conditions um you know uh, the recent um changes in interest rates not something I was paying too much uh, attention to obviously you keep an eye on it you wanna know what your payments are gonna be, but yeah, just because we'll get different business interests. You know, it's not something that's that's got me in a panic, but I can understand how some people with certain um, properties, you know, certain criteria that they that they've got, you know, potentially they could be in bother, um, especially with two thousand and twenty five coming with all the the band C EPC regulations coming up. That that could be something that's going to be uh, sore for some people. So, so the future for you, Nick, you just keep buying, keep buying as you're doing, diversifying
1: the portfolio. Still, still, with the residential, still with the buy collects and the additional commercial as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if uh, you know, I, I, we're certainly not in any rush to get out of property, it's, it's you have to look at the, the long game. You know, it's, if you look back over the last what 30 40 years, properties just steadily went up most of the time. There's been a couple of dips, but you know, it's we're in a small landmass, we don't have tons and tons of available space you know like canada or america or places like this we've got a show housing shortage so yeah the economy's in a bit of a i don't know if it's in a bit of a mess but obviously there's a lot of uncertainty just now um so yeah for me property's still the vehicle it's, it's given my skills and i always say i got quite a lot of builders that will come and talk to me about property and i, and I always say you know given what you do it's just natural that you should that you should be doing property, and, and when you've been doing it for a while, you'll think, "What you know? Why was I not doing this years ago?" If you do it right, so yeah, for me, property still the, the number one vehicle. I don't know much, about, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I don't know much about stocks and shares, but I would prefer to be in property regardless.
0: And what about the building company? We just keep going with that and doing, doing your building
2: jobs as well. Yeah, I mean, we don't really do much for the public now. We we still do stuff. It's mostly just referral stuff, you know, uh, existing clients or, or past clients that have passed their names on. Um, so, yeah, we'll still do occasional stuff. But, yeah, I just prefer to concentrate on our own projects now. It means you've not got... Deadlines as such, you know, uh, I am the client, so obviously some jobs might have a deadline for lending purposes or selling purposes, but you've yeah, not got a client breathing down your neck. You know, you've not got someone getting all stressed after six weeks, uh, someone moaning at you because the guys have parked in the wrong place, someone moaning at you when the guys don't turn up for work. Uh, plus it means I can keep my team small. Uh, and I've no desire to go back to that larger team. It's just... I've been in that situation a few times, and it's just nothing but headache, and it just it affects your personal life. Mm. You know, just having that. Yeah, team. Um,
0: and over the years that you've been doing, you know, developments, flips, no rest for. How many millions do you think you've made, Nick?
2: Oh God! Well, um, <laughs> <if it laughs> we're right. for a
0: clickbait title for our
2: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> God, if it all went right, and if I could do it all again, um, yeah, there would be millions there, but. Yeah, unfortunately not at the moment.
0: Aye. It's kind of like you say, slow and steady, building the assets, you know, eventually it'll all work out. Um, and really appreciate your time today. What What about, obviously, like you've been kind enough to come on here and give your time. So how can people reach out and what are you doing with the, the coaching and stuff like that? Give yourself a wee plug.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, so if anyone fancies working one-to-one, you know, if they're a bit nervous about paying a lot of money to go to a shorter course and they would prefer to work one-to-one with the guys that are on the ground doing it. Um, you know, they can give us a shout. I've got the Profit From Property Facebook community. Um, I've got the email address, which is www.profitfromproperty.net. So, yeah, if they, they can reach out, they can put calls on there. Again, I'm, I'm always open to ask questions. On the Profit From Property community, ideally, I would like people to just all be discussing what they're up to and asking lots of questions and getting lots of value. So it's not always about just trying to sell to people. You know, if you can help people along the way and give them free information, we're always happy to do that.
0: Thanks very much for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, As always, we really appreciate your support, your reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on the Facebook group and our Instagram. Stephen.
1: Yeah, guys, jump over to the Scottish Property Podcast website as well, where you to really get your tickets from our in-person monthly events and even the Scottish Property Podcast Ball on Saturday, the 3rd of December. We're now up to 100 tickets sold, so I think it's going to be a sellout, guys. So grab your tickets and come and party with us on Saturday, the 3rd of December in Glasgow. Brilliant. See you again next week.